what's more important, driving more traffic or improving conversions? How do you find and fix errors in your store and e-commerce funnel licking money? What is a detailed and definitive way of carrying out conversion, optimization and split test on an e-commerce site? My guest on today's show runs one of the most popular CRO blogs out there, as well as a CRO agency. He's going to answer these questions and shed more light on his agency's highly detailed e-commerce conversion optimization process, how they establish hypotheses and test them out. So stay tuned. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show where we interview founders of fast-growing seven- and eight-figure e-commerce businesses and e-commerce experts. They'll tell their stories, share how they 2 x their businesses, and inspire you to take action in your own online retail business today. And now, here he is, the man in the mix, Kunle Campbell. Hi 2Xers, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kunle Cavill, and this is the podcast where I interview e-commerce entrepreneurs and online marketing experts who help uncover e-commerce marketing tactics and strategies to help you, my fellow 2Xers and listeners, double specific e-commerce metrics in your online stores. So if you're looking to double metrics such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers' traffic, and ultimately sales, you are in the right place. On today's show... It is with great pleasure to have with me Pep Liar, a conversion rate optimizer some of you would no doubt heard or read about. He's the founder of Conversion XL, one of the world's most popular CRO blogs, which also doubles as a conversion rate optimization agency and training company. Pep is not only an entrepreneur and conversion optimizer, but also a trainer who runs regular courses, coaching programs, and two annual conferences, Conversion XL Live and Elite Camp in Estonia, something coming up really soon. Welcome to the show, Pep. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. Could you take a minute or two to tell our listeners about yourself for those who don't know about you? Mm -hmm. Well, I help companies make more money. So they bring me in to help their efforts when they have a bunch of traffic or they pay a bunch of money to drive traffic on their site and now want more people to buy stuff, sign up uh, for something, etc. And so I, I've been doing this for quite a while now. Uh, I run my own agency. Uh, we work with ma- mainly enterprise companies um, in the US, but uh, also some smaller ones in different parts of the world. And in the past, I've, uh, I've run my SaaS company. I've done sales. I used to be an SEO. Uh, I used to be a professional fundraiser for a nonprofit. Uh, all kinds of things. Quite a quite a packed background. Lots of experience. You said you used to be an SEO. So I noticed you started blogging since um, about October 2011 on Conversion Excel. Why did you move to CRO? I know you, you ran a website at some point, a website development agency at some point, or you still do, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so why, why the move from SEO to CRO to help people or help enterprise companies actually make money? So I, I did stop the SEO stuff actually quite a while ago already, like in 2008. Okay. So I used to be an SEO, and that was my prime years, were like 2006 and seven, And and back then, ranking first page on Google for something was not that hard. Mm. So what I noticed was that even when I was able to maybe double the traffic for my client websites, 
their sales did not double. In fact, sometimes they hardly even moved. And that made me realize that there's something more to this online marketing thing than just SEO and traffic. And then that's when I got interested in CRO. At first, I was doing it for myself. I was uh, doing direct response marketing and ran my own tests. And then I I ran my own SaaS company, meanwhile, uh, and, and was doing CRO for myself. Until I learned that that's what everybody's struggling with, is, is converting the visitors into buyers. That's even harder than getting traffic. Of course, you need both. Of course, you need both. When I started my web development agency, at first, our value proposition was that we build sites that sell. So basically, we were building sites from scratch using best case practices and whatnot. And then also discovered a lie that best case practices, they're not really best case practices. They're more like common practices. And uh, just just because you build a site based on a best case practice doesn't mean it's going to be a best performing site. There's so many other things that go into it. And it's not like, you know, you, you, you copy Amazon and expect to have Amazon-like results, you know. It doesn't work like that. So I discovered how content-specific sites are. I, we stopped doing all development work, actually for, for various business reasons, because people hired us to boost their sales, but the development part was always taking the lion's share of time in the project. So the reason why people hired us and what took the longest, there was a mismatch, and we were most excited about conversion and optimization. So three years ago or so, I, I came back from a conference and I told my team, all right, I've had it. We were killing all development services and fully focusing on conversion optimization. They were like, what? That's like 80% of our business right now. Like, what? And I said, no, I have a vision. We got to do this. And uh, we did it. And one year, first year after changing our business model to fully focusing on CRO, my employee per revenue went up 60%. So it was a good decision and we never looked back. Did you have to let go some existing clients? We finished some client projects we finished all the clients that we had in but we just stopped taking in new development clients okay okay very very interesting because i can very much relate with in regards to doubling seo traffic and you know not doubling conversions or sales and at the end of the day business owners and retailers want to return on their investment so really, really interesting. You talked about making money. And every time I hear you speak, you talk about websites leaking money. In the context of an e-commerce funnel, where are the most common leakage points from, from CRO standpoint and, and funnel? Mm. On, for e-commerce sites, so, I mean, it, it really it could be anywhere, you know. On, on some sites, people get to the category pages, but for some reason, they're not really clicking through to product pages. It could be that it's a paradox of choice. There's just so many products I cannot choose. Or maybe they get through to the product page, and you see there's a lot of page views on product pages, but hardly any clicks on the Add to Cart button. So the product page is not really doing the job of you know persuading person to add a product to the cart or maybe they get to the cart but they're not starting the checkout not getting past the cart page so have to remember that this is very individual every e-commerce site has specific problems not generic problems so we always have to 
look at the website performance in terms of layers. How many unique page views do we have on category pages, product pages, clicks on cart ads, cart page, and different checkout steps? That's how we can figure out where the biggest leak is. Okay, so it's on a case-by-case basis. I've also heard you talk about the fact that um, you spend 20, 40 hours on Google Analytics initially to spend time finding these leaks. So from that standpoint, what section of Google Analytics do you spend the most time in? Is it the audience, the acquisition, the behavior, or the conversion section, or or all of them? Well, audience and acquisition matter much less for my conversion purposes. There are so many different things to, to figure this out. So yes, I do spend 17, 20 hours at the start of each new conversion project, let's call it that. So first thing, of course, is that before you even look at Google Analytics, you have to conduct a health check to make sure that A, the data is correct, and you won't believe how many Google Analytics configs just report false data because of a crappy setup. And B, is everything that needs to be measured being measured? So we need to make sure that's taken care of first. Now we can look at the leaks. You know, obvious things, you you look at your funnel performance. Uh, but typically, funnel performance, people start measuring from the cart. Cart to purchase, so where, where are people dropping off? So you, then you also want to measure the flow from your home page to category page to product pages and also having in mind that people might enter directly onto category pages or product pages. So you need to do some math here. So here I'm I'm mainly paying with behavior, uh, all pages reports, and and calculating unique page views as as well as unique visitors. Would you look at category pages on a case-by-case basis or you know, holistically, because some e-tailers would have over 100 categories. So if the design template is the same, you look at them as a whole. And of course, it might be that there are different categories, product categories or brands that might perform differently. And in this case, if we want to analyze this per product category, let's say we uh, analyze apparel and jewelry separately, then of course we need to have richer data. You know, We need to have a bunch of custom data configured in Google Tag Manager so, so we'd be even able to see that kind of rich data. Okay, now that you mentioned Google Tag Manager, is that your default? Is that your preferred um, setup with analytics? Well, a Tag Manager for sure. Google Tag Manager is great. You know, it's free, it gets stuff done. And of course, you need to work with an analytics implementation person. So you need to have somebody on your team who really speaks Google Tag Manager. You know, it, it requires above average, let's say, uh, skills. It's not like you're a you know, renaissance man and do everything yourself. Or at least you need a service provider who helps you with setting all this stuff up. For e-commerce sites, I always recommend that if they don't have an in-house person, that they at least bring in a one-time implementation guy who sets it up in Tag Manager, sets up enhanced e-commerce, all kind of uh, rich data, um, custom data that might be you know, important in that particular. What do you want to see as a CRO? What settings would you want to instruct the, the analytics person for an e-commerce setup? As, an, as a conversion person, you do with what you have. So most important things, of course, are revenue per visitor and conversion rate. And that's part of your standard analytics config uh, you know, provided that 
those basic things are set up. Then you have the average quantity, average price, and so on. Because the reason for why you need all those things is if you're running split tests, if you're running split tests, you want to see how one treatment of variation is affecting all these different metrics. Because it might be that you create an alternative product page layout, and then you see that there's no difference in conversion rate, but revenue per visitor is way up. Oh, how is that? Why? And then you say, oh, see, now instead of buying on average three products, now they're buying like 4.2 or something. So we know exactly what which metric our treatment affected, and we can figure out how it did that, and maybe we can leverage this even more, more things to get people to uh, buy more products in one session. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of So you have the, the key metrics, key conversion metrics there, and, and then you run your test against them and see what changes off the back of that. Okay, we're going to move into CRO for e-commerce. So in the context of e-commerce, what sort of e-commerce businesses you know, benefit from CRO? I know this is quite a general question, but uh, from a traffic standpoint, how much traffic should websites generate to make them more or less a candidate for CRO, if that makes sense? Well, I think you are confusing optimization and testing here. Testing is a part of optimization, but it's not optimization. Every single website can do optimization. Small sites that struggle to get traffic, they should care even more about optimization. Because now if you're only able to get, let's say, a couple of thousand visitors to your site each month, you know, in order to make more money, you need to squeeze every single dollar out of those visitors. So it's even more important. Now, when it comes to testing, of course, math comes into play and you need a certain sample size in order to run, run tests. So let's say at the very minimum, you would need, you know, maybe four or 500 transactions per month. That's like the low end. And of course, it depends if you run a test with an impact is way higher. Let's say that you run a test where it's a plus 200%. You might get away with lesser sample size. But of course, uh, plus 200% tests, I mean, one doesn't see those very often. Do you mean a total of 400 transactions or 400 transactions in each test for, for version A and version B? I mean, total. You know, typically my personal minimum is like 250 transactions per variations, which means... 500 total per site. And that's a starting point. Yeah, that's a starting point. That means that you, you should be able to run one test per month. Or if sometimes one month is not enough, you know, because it all depends on your existing conversion rate and the impact of the winning test. Like, does it add plus 5% or plus 15%? So the higher the uplift, the lesser sample size you need. So it's it's all math and you can calculate this in advance. If you go on Google and type in A-B test sample size calculator, you'll find plenty where you put in your current traffic and conversion rate and you change the uplift per test, maybe 5%, maybe 10%, and it will tell you how many visitors per variation it would need to run a test. And then... You can see if that would be two weeks or two years. Okay, okay. Makes a lot of sense. Now, a significant number of our listeners are mid-tier online retailers. And by mid-tier online retailers, I define them as um, websites or businesses having a turnover between $5 million and $70 million. 
Why should they focus on conversions rather than traffic acquisition, you know, for, for businesses of this size? I mean, it's not a this or that equation here. So if you spend money on adverts or on SEO, it doesn't matter which one, if you spend money on traffic acquisition, now what if you would spend as much money as you're spending now, but you would get 30% more sales or 50% more sales or double? So it really makes sense. If you're spending money on adverts, allocate a portion of that budget on conversion optimization for a few months, maybe half a year. Get customer acquisition costs much lower. Now with the same budget, you're able to acquire many more visitors and they convert better. So and that, that's how you dominate. Like if you are able to acquire customers cheaper and faster than your competition, I mean, what else would you want? That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so an online retailer who wants to, say, double their conversion rates off the back of traffic coming from AdWords, for instance, could you talk us through the CRO process or the testing process that you would take for them to achieve their goal of doubling conversion rates? Sure. Now, how much you are able to increase your conversion rate depends on how crappy your site is. You know, if it's a highly optimized site, you know, like let's say that uh, Amazon hires a CRO person, that person will not be able to double their sales in <laughs> one year or whatever, you know, because yeah. the site is already highly optimized, right? Mm-hmm. So everything is always contextual. So we should not have the idea that you're always able to double, but at 10%, I mean, a reasonable expectation is that you should be able to increase your conversion rate 5 to 15% per month. That's a typical scenario. And of course, if it's a highly optimized site, it's less. And if it's not very optimized, it should be way more. So how do you do it? Let's talk about that. So again, ignore best case practices and all this stuff and ignore what, what's working for other people for the most part because other people's websites have other people's problems. Your audience is different. You're selling different product to a different audience. You acquire customers in a different way. Your price point is different. So, so many things are different. So, it's a very contextual environment. Now, it's not about a list of tactics or magic bullets. Oh, maybe if you would, you know, make the button bigger or do this or do that. So, forget about those magic tricks as well. It's about a process. And, you know, if your site is crap, it's relatively easy to find those low-hanging fruits. Uh, but once you pick those, again, you're left with, you know, then what? So you want to have a data-driven approach. And, of course, what, what does it mean being data-driven? I mean, it's a, it's a misnomer. Data doesn't drive anything. People drive it. It's not like the day you open up Google Analytics and it tells you what to do. And no. You know, you have to go in there dig around and you have to find answers to the questions that you have. It's always people driven and a key skill here is to be able to pull insights out of data. So let me walk you through the typical process. An e-commerce company hires me, I come in. So what do I do? First thing, I start with a heuristic analysis. So heuristic analysis in essentially is an experience-based assessment where I evaluate each design screen, let's say homepage, category, product, etc., against a certain set of heuristics. 
And those heuristics are, you know, for, for paid traffic, relevancy. Does it meet expectations? Does it, does it have what I expect it to have? And so on. Does it say the right things? Value. Do I understand the value that I would get from this page? So value proposition. What's in it for me, think? Friction. What's making me anxious, having doubts, what's causing hesitations? Anything that is causing negative thoughts. In uh, So as such, the page friction, distraction. So every single page has a should have a single goal. On a product page, I want users to add something to the cart. On a category page, it, the goal is to help people find a product they like, so they will click on it. So distraction basically answers what on this page is not contributing to people taking that one action. If there are elements like that, well, should they be there? Maybe we should remove them or minimize them, something like that. And clarity, of course. Do I understand the copy? Do I understand what I'm supposed to do? Is it obvious? Is everything easy? And so on. So I walk through this page. I write down notes. Let's say it's a homepage, e-commerce homepage. No reason is given why I should buy from this site. That's a value issue. Maybe there's a slider that every three seconds, you know, an image changes. So that's a distraction. So I'm not able to pay attention to anything because the image always changes. Uh, maybe it has amateur design. So I'm writing down fr- under friction or oh, has amateur design. I don't think I can trust this site and so on and so forth. And now these, these things that I write down, these are not facts. This is what I call areas of interests. And now I'm going to look for data, and I use these areas of interest and what I've noticed to figure out, first of all, the questions that I want data to answer. Like, if I think this is an issue, is this really an issue? So I need to come up with a question, like, are people put off by this design? Do they think it's untrustworthy? So I'm going to seek out qualitative data to either prove or disprove this hypothesis. And another thing that I do, as I'm walking through the site, I'm paying attention to all these different things I can do. Maybe they're on a category page, maybe there are filters, like I can narrow down the selection by price, color, size, whatnot. Now, every interaction a user takes on the website should be recorded on web analytics, like through events. So I'm gonna also mark down all these different things that people can do and we want to be able to measure those things. So I also have a list of things that should be measured. Now I'm going to go to Google Analytics and perform a health check and make sure that everything that should be measured is being measured, every single action, every single click. So if there are forms to be filled out, I'll make sure that we have form analytics in place so I can see the performance of the form on a form field level. Oh, see, when I ask them for the phone number, they hesitate for three seconds. Oh, see, in the email field, they have multiple corrections. And also, same for error message. I want to make sure that we see how often to see which error message on which URL. So after heuristic analysis, second step is this technical analysis, where we make sure that uh, in analytics, we're tracking everything. And also, we want to make sure that there are no bugs or user experience issues, because these are the biggest conversion killers. So in Google Analytics, you can pull up a report you always want to segment this by device category. So you only want to look at desktop or mobile or whatever. And so I want to look at Internet Explorer conversion rates for desktop. Explorer 11, 10, 9, and so on. And now I see that, wow, Explorer 9 converts only half as much as Explorer 11. Why is that? Well, I don't know, but 
it's likely that there's some cross-browser compatibility issues or maybe some user experience issue. So now either I myself, I use a tool like you know, cross-browser testing or browser stack to figure out if there are any bugs in the system because these are your biggest money killer. So like no, even the most persuasive design or copywriting won't save a site that doesn't work, you know. So I want to eliminate bugs. Now, once I've identified if there are any cross-device or cross-browser issues, I move on to web analytics analysis. So what can we learn from Google Analytics? So Google Analytics, we can see what people are doing. We can see the impact and performance of every feature, every widget, every page. So for instance, people who are using filters, well, are they more likely to convert, less likely to convert, same, no difference. Which filter do people use the most? So then I know the order of filter, how prominent it should be, all that stuff. Of course, we'll, we'll identify where the site is leaking money is the biggest problem, the, the cart or the category page and so on. And also we want to figure out not just page types, like category page, we want to see performance per actual URL. What are the high traffic pages with high bounce rate? Or high traffic, high exit rate. Or if the exit rate is less good than uh, bounce rate, because oftentimes people exit after they've had two or three disappointing clicks. So usually when people pay, there's a page with a high exit rate, I want to see what was the page they saw before that and before that. So now when I know what people are doing and what are they not doing, where's the most of the money leaking out, either per page type or per specific URL, I want to get to the why. So also at the same time, mouse tracking analysis is, is useful. So a scroll map, which essentially shows how far down people scroll, you can do that with Google Analytics as well through Tag Manager. You can measure scroll depth or you can use a tool like Hotjar or Speclet that shows your scroll depth. And also click maps, so like where people click. It's a visual representation, you know, aggregated data of where people click. Of course, again, if you have enhanced link attribution configured in Google Analytics, uh, you can see that in Google Analytics as well. But the advantage of click maps is also that you see where people are clicking that are actually not clicks. Something that people think that should be links, but are not. So that, that, that can be insightful. But the most insightful of all is user session replays. You know, you know your category page sucks. You know, people are not clicking through the product page. So what are they doing on this category page? Well, now you can use a tool like Inspectlet or Hotjar and just watch a couple of hours of videos how people use your category pages. Very insightful. Uh, qualitative service. You want to do at least two at least two types of qualitative research. One on your pages with the biggest leak. Let's say it's a cart page. People get to the cart page, but they're not clicking proceed to checkout. Why is that? So you can put like a, a poll on that web page, and you can configure it. Let's say that if after ten seconds they still haven't done anything, pop this question, and you ask them, "Hey, what's?" holding you back from proceeding to checkout or from completing uh, a purchase right now. And you get like a 2 to 4% response rate and you get a lot of insights as to why, what's holding people back. There's a site that I'm working on where 90% of the people answered the poll question the same way. And the question was shipping costs. They were too high. 
And this is a type of response that no digital analytics data could ever tell you. Like you can't dig in analytics and figure out that shipping costs are too high. So that's, that's why qualitative is so important. So you want to do this also for product pages and checkout and everywhere where your site is leaking, asking on a product page, hey, what's holding you back from adding this product to the cart right now? And of course, you, you, some people get pissed off, but ignore them because the amount of quality responses you get will give you good insight. You also want to do email surveys with people who just gave you money. So people bought something, two days later, you send them an email. Or actually, you want to just email people who bought something within the last, let's say, 10 days or something. And you ask them a, a set of questions. You want to ask them, what was the one thing that nearly stopped them from buying? What was the, the, some doubts and hesitations they experienced before completing a purchase? Uh, what was their number one problem finding the right product to buy? Uh, why did they end up buying from you and not the competition? Open-ended questions. Usually I ask like seven, eight, nine questions, all open-ended, no yes, no questions, no multiple choice. Also very, very insightful stuff. You also want to do user testing. So recruit people who will represent your target audience and have them use your site, give them tasks, and have them comment everything out loud. You can use usertesting.com or similar. And you want to give them three types of tasks. A specific task like find a pair of black jeans in size whatever. Buy this brand under $50. Very specific. And you see how they do it. You want to give them a broad task. Oh, it's your uh, significant other's birthday coming up. Find them uh, something they might like. Again, pay attention how they go about it. And finally... You say, well, add it to the cart and complete the purchase because you want to see the final completion. And you do this with 5 to 15 people, very insightful stuff. And now, after doing all these different steps, each specific activity, whether it's user testing, heuristic analysis, or web analytics analysis, will give you different insights. Now you want to put all these insights, all these issues that you've identified together into a master action sheet. I usually use Google Docs spreadsheets. So you, you list every issue, you score them by importance. You rank them from five stars to one star. So five star will be critically important issue that is impacting almost all the users and is costing you a lot of money. Like for instance, the shipping costs are too high or a minor usability issue. You know, like when you click on a product image on a product page, there's like 0.5 second delay before the picture jumps open. Unless it's a usability issue. It's not a huge issue. You know, it might be a two-star issue. So you assign a score, and now you categorize each issue. And you, you allocate each issue into one of five categories. One category is test. Let's say that uh, you, you found out that on product pages, the qualitative feedback was that I can't really understand if I like these pants or not. Oh, we should probably make the pictures bigger. That's an obvious problem, obvious test. So it's a test category. Or maybe there's a problem that you found. Shipping costs are too high, but maybe you can't really do anything about it. UPS is screwing you. But that, that, that is a perceived friction. That is an issue. So that goes into a bucket that I call hypothesize. So it's a known issue, but there is no obvious solution to it. So now usually we need to get together a team of people and do a, like a cross-disciplinary brainstorm meeting. Maybe we can you know, increase the perceived value of a product. Maybe we can just in increase 
all our prices and just does reduce shipping, you know, whatever, be creative. There are some issues that are just do it, no-brainers. So maybe people just can't read your content. The font size is too small. I mean, just don't test it. Just increase your font size by like two pixels or whatever. There might be instrumentation issues. A very common instrumentation issue in e-commerce sites is that clicks on add to cart button are not measured. They measure only visits to the cart page, but they're not the same thing. So it's an instrumentation issue, a massive one. So, so does your spreadsheets split into what team or you know what professional is going to be assigned the task? So usually I, I have a column in the spreadsheet where I assign by name, like who's going to do it. Okay. And you start tackling the spreadsheet. I sort all the issues by the stars, like is it a five-star issue or one-star issue? And then people who have to fix issues just look at this. This We call it an action sheet. And then, you know, you filter it to your name and you start from a bigger issue to a smaller issue. And there could be analytics people, that could be business people, could be your testing team and so on and so forth. And typically when I do this, I have 15 to 30 pages of issues. Well, okay. If you go through this process and do it right, and it usually lasts two to four weeks, it's a lengthy process, but somebody asked me, I mean, what kind of a business do you have to run to actually go through all this hard work? If you're in a business of actually being in business, you know, if, if you're actually serious about what you do, how can you not not do it? You have to put the work in it. You just have to. Exactly. I mean, sure. I mean, everything in life is hard. But essentially, if you're maybe your competitors are too lazy, they don't want to do this hard work. Well, the one who does the heavy lifting, the one who does the hard work wins. Absolutely. Okay, let's summarize the key things. You said the heuristic analysis, mm -hmm. then the technical analysis, yeah. and the third part was more or less the user testing. So those are like three key areas, right? Did I get... Yep, user testing, and then qualitative research, serving people who are visiting your site, serving people who recently bought from you, and web analytics plus uh, mouse tracking. So six things. Six things. Okay. Okay. I have to say that's the longest and most detailed answer ever I've got on the show so far. So well done. Um, I want to talk about psychology, the, the play of psychology or the role of psychology in Ciara. I'm, I'm reading a book now called, I think it's called Triggers. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll get it anyway. But the, the book talks about like psychological triggers and references to triggers in, in psychology always is negative, like anxiety, depression, and, you know, addiction. How do you play with psychology in conversion rate optimization? I think that falls within the heuristic analysis, because you mentioned things in the heuristic analysis, like friction, value proposition, anxiety, negative distraction. How do you layer things up? How do you layer psychology up or prioritize psychology? Is it split into the negatives and positives, things that give pleasure versus things that cause some um, pain or friction. Could you shed some more light on, on that, please? Right. So when we optimize a page, essentially we have two levers that we play with. One is reducing or increasing ability to do something. So making it easier, more obvious, and so on. The button we want people to click, make it bigger, and so on. So once we've taken care of that part, it's easy to take action and it's obvious. Now, the second part is motivation. Get people to want to 
take action. Now, this is where psychology comes into play the most. Which kind of types of triggers will work the best on your specific audience or on the specific action you want people to take? That we, we don't know in advance. So this is where testing comes into play. And uh, we in-house, we have a master sheet. We have a, a hundred-page document of all these psychological triggers that you could use in any context. So typically, we go through it and pick one that seems to fit the specific context. So, you know, if, if it's a trust issue, and we have identified trust issue through maybe qualitative research, then we want to maybe use social proof, you know, like... We have, you know, served 5 million customers in the last, whatever, 10 years, you know. Or maybe we want to appeal on authority, you know. This is, this is where uh, famous people in our industry are uh, doing their shopping or, or something like this. So start with that. I mean, it's, it's very hard to give you a specific answer because there are so many different types of triggers that you could be using. I, I do get where you're going to in, in terms of driving shoppers to, to take action and you're pretty much tweaking them. You're nudging them up from either a motivational standpoint or you're trying to reduce their anxiety. And then you, you reference the list of 100 or more psychological triggers to, to, to taper it down. It's almost like, you know, when you're a surgeon, you've read your entire, you know, medical book, but, you know, when you see an element, you, you, you make reference to it to find, you know, to find. Oh, right. Solution. And it's pretty impossible or highly, highly difficult to figure out which of these triggers is going to work the best. So, A, is stop assuming that you know what's going to work the best. People usually default to the uh, Robert Cialdini, you know, uh, scarcity, urgency, those those kind of principles. And I'm no expert in social psychology to say that you should or should not start with these. What I'm saying is have an open mind, test multiple different triggers. And really, if you know what the issue is that you are trying to solve, it's, it's so much easier to choose from the huge list of triggers that that exists there. So if you know it's an anxiety issue and you can identify what is the anxiety, it's so much easier to uh, to pick something. Speaking of testing, what what are your frustrations? What what do you see people do wrong? Optimizers do wrong. In, in other words, I'm, I'm asking what's a proper way of testing because I've been you know reading lots of confusion between statistical significance and validity in test. Well, I think the main problem with testing is that people not well versed in statistics, they tend to end their tests too early. And sometimes it's it's the fault of the tools like VWO or Optimizer or whatever. They just say, hey, statistical significance reached and your test has been running. I think the record is like 18 minutes and you, you already <laughs> have a winner. So the problem with that is that when we run a test, we want to be sure that the test result is valid. So the validity that you mentioned. So statistical significance only comes to play as a factor when two previous conditions have been met. Because the people exposed to our experiment has to be representative of our actual traffic. So first of all, we need to meet the criteria that there is enough sample size, enough people were exposed to your experiment. And we mentioned the sample size calculator uh, early on. So you need to calculate the needed sample size in advance. So if the statistical significance is like 95% or higher, but your sample size is not large enough, it's a meaningless number. 
So that's criteria number one. Your absolute sample size of people, that criteria needs to be met. And this you'll know before you even launch the test. And criteria number two is the test duration. How long does the test last? Because, again, when we're running a test, we're taking a convenient sample, not a representative sample. So we need to make sure that our normal business cycle fits into the testing period. So every single weekday, weekend, phase of the moon, external events, uh, maybe your business cycle is longer, like maybe people are affected by the payday. So you want to run for four weeks to make sure that their payday is in there. Uh, your blog, blog and newsletter publishing schedule, how often do you have promotions going on, all that stuff. So typically you want to run your test for at least two business cycles, which means that you should not really run a test that lasts less than two weeks, and probably it's more closer to four weeks. So just bear in mind when you run a test, you need your absolute sample size that you know in advance. You run your test for two business cycles, which is at least two weeks, maybe four. If those two conditions have been met, now you look at the statistical confidence level. Of course, this is still a hot subject of debate among the um, statistics community, whether uh, p-values can actually be used in this context. They optimize, they change the total uh, testing algorithm um, using a frequentist approach and so on. And I, I don't have a PhD in statistics, <laughs> so I'm not going to have that debate here. Okay, so so two things really, the sample size sufficient enough, you alluded earlier to the fact that 250 transactions is a good number. I mean, that's no, bear in mind, there are no magic numbers. This is a ballpark. So you always, always calculate it using a calculator where you put in your actual conversion rate, the actual lift that you're seeing, those numbers and, and see... And the duration is quite important also. Very important, yes. Okay. Okay. I, I know you, you're not one to be held for, for numbers, but I was curious to find out what your thoughts are on typical conversion rates for e-commerce in general, given the number of e-commerce brands you've worked with. Well, I mean, this this question, like what's a good conversion rate and what's your conversion rate, it's, it's a question that you should, shouldn't really be asking. The conversion rate that you should be caring about is whether the one that you have now is better than what you had last month. Because websites are highly contextual. Your website audience is unique. Your pricing is unique and so on and so forth. So it's never apples to apples comparison. If I told you that, oh, I mean, average is like 3 4%. I mean, so what do you do with that information? It's useless, really. The only thing is matter that you're beating your own, your own benchmark. Okay, okay, makes sense. In terms of tracking and reporting of, of the funnel, how should retailers effectively track and report their funnel, their sales funnel? Uh, I'm not sure I get the question. If it's set up in Google Analytics, then there you go. Okay, do, do you, should they look at it on a monthly basis, weekly basis? How, how often should they go into the funnel report in NRT Commerce to, to, to look and analyze the data? You should, you should definitely have a regular check once a week or so, and you should configure alerts, email alerts, so when something bad happens and suddenly a conversion rate drops by 20%, you know, like there, there might be that there's a sudden bug or, you know, whatever. Uh, something is happening so that you can catch it right away. So have a regular check-in time and configure alerts for any sudden changes. Of course, the sudden change might also be just regular seasonality and, and you know, Sunday is typically 
worse than a Wednesday and so on. And of course, when you run A-B tests, you need to look at all that data per test and, and so on as well. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, I want to finally talk about tools you use. What is your CRO? I know you, you've actually given a lot of tools. You mentioned a lot of tools, but what were your most recommended CRO tools? What does your CRO tool set look like to effectively split test and carry out CRO on a regular basis on an e-commerce website? Yeah, uh, web analytics. I'm a big fan of Google Analytics. Hate Omniture. Uh, for split testing, I love Optimizely. Uh, VWO is also good. Uh, there, there are so many other tools that I have not used. So these are the tools that I use for mouse tracking, Inspectlet or Hotjar. For uh, on-site surveys, I use Qualaroo or Hotjar. Email surveys, I use Typeform. Of course, you have to email it out using whatever else, but to put the forms together, I use Typeform or Google Docs sometimes. And for enhanced funnel analysis, I uh, use Heap, H-E-A-P, Heap Analytics. Does that plug into to Google Analytics? No, it's a separate standalone tool. And if it's a site that relies heavily on web forms, maybe a lead gen type of situation, then then you definitely need a form analytics tool like uh, Formissimo or, or some similar. Okay. And what about for e-commerce managers listening to this show that want to you know, learn? Obviously, they've learned a lot, um, given that we've spoken about one hour and you've spoken most of the time. But e-commerce managers who want to sort of get into CRO, what books would you recommend to them to get into the, the world of CRO? Yes. So it all depends how, how deep in you want to go. Um, the data-driven research process that I was describing, that's in a book that I wrote called uh, Essentials of Conversion Optimization. It's $2.99 on Kindle. Uh, that's the only book on the data-driven research topic. I'll link to that in the show notes. If you want to learn more about testing, then a book by Chris Goward, you should test that. It's more for novices. It's not an advanced level book. There are no really advanced level books. They're all kind of beginner to early intermediary level. Um, if, if you really want to become a CRO ninja, then uh, I have a conversion course that you should take. That's only if you you know, if you really want to invest. I'll, I'll, link to, I'll link to it. And, and also your blog. Your blog is amazing, by the way. Yes, my blog, Conversion Excel. Um, we try to keep the level of the best in the world. That's our standard for publishing. Good stuff. Good stuff. Before we say your, your, your goodbye, could you tell our listeners about Elite Camp? I've signed up to Elite Camp. It's um, running between 12th and 14th of June in Estonia. I'm going to see you in person. So could you just shed more light? How many more spaces are left in, in Elite Camp? I think it's like only four four last spots uh, unless any cancellations come. So I'd recommend to uh, go to digitalelitecamp.com right now to say have a chance of securing a spot. It's a three-day traffic and conversion event, mostly focusing on the conversion aspect. It's very international. It's uh, people from, I think, 25 different countries. It's going to be great. Come. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. And um, people can reach you on, on Twitter, on, on the handle Pep Lager, right? Liar, sorry. And just search for Pep on Google and you see him everywhere. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, Pep. And thank you for sharing your insights on conversion rate optimization. Oh, thank you for having me. Cheers. Bye. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. To help you get more actionable insights and e-commerce growth hacks that will help you 2X your online retail business, hop over to 2xecommerce.com. It's a blog dedicated to e-commerce and multi-channel marketing run by the show's host, Kunle Campbell. 2xecommerce.com is packed full of articles and guides to help increase traffic to your store, increase repeat purchases, and average order value. Thanks for listening. Visit 2xecommerce.com.